G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Thursday, always love to catch up with the National Director of Family Voice Australia, Charles Newington, who's been thinking through some of the big issues in the nation. Charles, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you. Good morning, Neil. Charles, uh, a bunch of things I mentioned we'll talk about today. Let's start with the first one. Of course, we're all aware that the new Middle East peace plan called the Deal of the Century is starting to cause a few uh, ripples in the Middle East, and uh, it's putting a spotlight back onto some of the situations that are developing. But there are some developments between Syria and Turkey and then Iran and Russia in the mix too. Uh, you've been looking at some of those and the developments there and uh, not all good news. What are your thoughts on what's happening? Uh, thank you, Neil. Well, firstly, you, you mentioned the Middle East peace plan between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And what that's doing is it's re-engaging the US in the, the Middle East. And uh, it, it's a kind of a what we might call a kind of a um, a, a, a kind of a high-value um, outcome that um, that President Trump would like to achieve in this first term of office, and uh, uh, he is shooting for the stars. But what this is doing is it's just re- refocusing the fact that there's this international dynamic again about the, the Middle East, and in particular the fact that uh, you can you've, we've all been listening to the media talking about the push by President Assad and the government troops up into the north of Syria to reclaim the land that was taken by um, ISIS, uh, the ISIS rebels, uh, some years ago. And I thought it was helpful just to remind people that the ISIS rebels took the northern part of Syria because in Islamic teaching, that region is where the great and final battle that sort of resolves everything within the Islamic uh, system, uh, where Islam becomes the dominant world power. That's like, that's like the Isla- uh, Islam's version of uh, Armageddon. And so they, they took it in order to establish the caliphate, which, uh, which is part of that end-time um, scenario, Islamic scenario, and they took it in order to kind of force that agenda and bring... Uh, Muslims worldwide into that. And you could see that people came from all over the world to be part of the ISIS force. Charles, people in the Middle East understand all of this uh, tension between two sides. Talk about Sunnis and Shias. Uh, We're not quite so immersed in that sort of thing in Australia, but uh, people in the Middle East, they understand that. They understand where the Islamic prophecies lead. And and there is a sense in here, as you say, uh, those Islamic prophecies do come into play. and, uh, And you've got Turkey now. Uh, in the middle of all of that, fueling some uh, division, uh, trying to uh, sort of put a wedge in here. Uh, In the meantime, of course, lots of refugees flooding across the border into Turkey. So uh, there are some significant developments there. Uh, The human cost is dreadful. Yes, it is. Something like 900,000 refugees have started to move out of northern Syria up against the Turkish border. 
And uh, this is obviously not welcome. Um, Turkey was trying to prevent that by creating that buffer zone that it would control and trying to settle that situation because it didn't want that happening. But they are moving now. And, and of course, they include the families and, and the fighters themselves um, who have been resisting the government. And I thought it just to underline, and I know we've got to move on, but just to underline the role of religion in, in the world. Um, sometimes, it, you know, it's understated we may not like the role of religion in society. We, we certainly don't like this kind of influence. That, um, that that underneath all this, there's these religious instincts and and uh, and uh, loyalties that are that are having this great conflict, uh, bringing it to the to the boil again. But it's a fact that uh, religion isn't. You know, it's a global phenomenon. It's uh, and secularism um, is just on the fringe. And in this particular case, the thing that's so dramatic about this is that uh, Russia has chosen to identify strongly. With, this, with the Syrian government and is making this push possible. And Russia has got an alliance with Iran as well. So you've got that triumvirate of Syria, Iran and Russia now um, in, a, in, a, in, in what they think of as quite a, a victorious mood. Uh, and you've also got on the other side of the world, you've got the US with a kind of victorious mood about Israel. So, <laughs> so there's a whole new... There's attention about the Middle East and watch this space. Those tensions, they are worthy of watching. And uh, I might say that I always relish conversations that actually get into the religious aspects of what goes on in the Middle East. And and as you'll know, Charles, uh, there's a number of commentators that I have on uh, in a semi-frequent sort of a way, and uh, we're unpacking all of those sorts of developments. And from the Christian perspective, and when you take that from a Christian perspective, you've got an opportunity then to contextualize what everyone else is doing, even if you talk about their religious perspective, as you mentioned this morning, uh, unless you actually have a deep faith and an understanding of where your own perspective is sometimes it's difficult to understand what's going on but uh, we try to do that as often as we can hey let's move on because there's lots of things to cover Charles uh, some concern over the next high court appointments here in Australia quite a controversy just of recent times Uh, give us your insights about the uh, appointments to our high court and ones that might be in the pipeline yes well there are a few coming up quite soon and um, uh, people will be aware of the fact that only recently um, the High Court, in a, in a split decision 4-3, they voted in favour of a, a fascinating and perplexing position that if a person who isn't a citizen of Australia but claims to have Indigenous heritage um, commits a crime in Australia, they're not as an Australian citizen, but they, in this particular case, we have somebody who's from Papua New Guinea and somebody from uh, New Zealand, and these two men have committed crimes in this country, and uh, the government wants to send them back to the, 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 the lands of their citizenship. Um, but this ruling has come in that both these men have claimed Indigenous heritage, and um, the, the ruling of the High Court on a 4-3 basis was that in Indigenous identity overrules other rules of citizenship. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you can imagine, I mean, the, 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 uh, the Chief Justice, she was particularly, um, uh, she, she, just, she just didn't agree with them, of course. She said that they were misusing the Mabo decision because the Mabo decision did not give Indigenous communities the right to make laws that overrule federal and state laws. 
Uh, it, but n nevertheless, um, he here we find ourselves in this situation. So we're thinking this is a, an, an, another example of how what's, what's called um, a sort of creative or inventive legislating by uh, the High Court, and, um, and people are worried about it. I think what people tend to be worried about is this idea that people will exploit a loophole because if we understand that if you commit a serious crime and you're not an Australian citizen, once you've done your time, the likelihood is you'll be deported back to your country of origin. But uh, if yeah. you can claim that you have some indigeneity in Australia, if you can claim that you've got some sort of connection, uh, then uh, the loophole would be uh, that you're able to uh, to, to stay and uh, you can't be deported. So, uh, so that concern over people exploiting that law is something that... Uh, uh, that could be very serious. The other thing, just to quickly pick this up uh, before we move on here, Charles, there's this terminology we'll sometimes hear that comes from what happens in the courts, uh, the idea of a judicial activism, uh, where judges are making their own interpretations of, say, things like the Constitution and overruling what our elected legislators uh, would typically come to. What are your thoughts about this whole in, uh, judicial activism? Yes, well, um, of course, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I've got good friends that are, uh, thankfully. And uh, one of them, who's a, 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 quite a famous man, was talking about the fact that, um, you know, picking up on this principle of the black letter principle, that um, it is the role of the High Court uh, particularly to uh, take care that any comment uh, and any ruling on the Constitution takes in mind what was in the mind of the drafters of the Constitution. What did it mean when they wrote it? And um, because, uh, you know, you can't, with, you can't write everything into a Constitution. So you have to kind of have this ruling, this black letter ruling. And um, and what we've seen uh, around the world, and of course now in Australia, is the tendency to interpret the Constitution not by the original intent, but rather by today's values and ideologies. And so you get this kind of slippage. Uh, my my uh, barrister friend made the observation that, uh, that that they wear the strange clothing in order to remind themselves and to remind everybody that they represent a long tradition of law, you know, and that there's something enduring about it and that we don't mess with it um, uh, uh, in, uh, flippantly or casually, you know. We, we, we have to be mindful of, of how we got to where we're at. In fact, I would dare to say and suggest that as Christians, we might understand what's going on perhaps a little better than people who are non-churched because we understand that the way we interpret the Bible really has to be, you know, through a cultural, historic, uh, literary setting, uh, which is 2,000 years old, uh, not reading into it just our uh, current moral prevailing values of the day. And so uh, we have an idea that, yes, there are a way, uh, ways to interpret a constitution and you've got to be able to understand what the writers of the constitution said. So uh, there's a little bit of an alignment there. Let's move on, Charles, because there's some significant uh, things that have developed out of what we understand, uh, you know, with Victoria and their euthanasia uh, legislation. Uh, they've introduced that there. And people are now taking advantage of the opportunity to kill themselves, basically. And uh, there's some numbers that have come out. You have been crunching and reflecting on some of those numbers out of Victoria. How serious does it look? Well, when this legislation was being um, 
uh, pr- proposed, they, they were expecting about 12 people to take um, to take advantage of the legislation between 19th of June and the, and, the, uh, and the 31st of December, which is the first review period. As it turned out, uh, 52 people uh, chose to end their lives during that period, and it was a bit of a surprise that there was such a lot of in, of interest. You know, in fact, 136 people applied for assessment under the program, and that that arose out of the fact that 649 individual forms were actually lodged by medical practitioners, but they were learning the process, and there was a lot of that. 83% of them required more information and clarification, etc. So um, they were surprised at the size of the take-up. And uh, of those 52, 43 of those people self-administered uh, the, the poison, and uh, and nine of them had that uh, medication administered by a practitioner. So we started to get um, you know some sort of idea about the impact of it. And uh, the Premier, Premier uh, Daniel Andrews said that his government had made a, co- a commitment to provide dignity and options for people who had been denied those options for far too long. I emphasise the word option because they have not provided the option of palliative care. And there's such a, there's such a dearth of palliative care. So when people in, uh, in, in either age or in infirmity, when they look to the process of dying or end of life, and they see that there's inadequate provision for for them during those times. Well, what are the options? The options are either that they die in pain and discomfort, or that they uh, that they take the euthanasia uh, path. I'm not persuaded that these are true options. Uh, you know, it's sobering, isn't it, Charles? When you say the anticipated take up for the first year uh, of euthanasia in Victoria was going to be 12 people. And then that blows out uh, to a significant number. 52 have died as a result of that. Uh, Sometimes we talk about a pub test on these sorts of laws, uh, voluntary assisted dying, uh, a pub test on the the fact that the government says it's okay to kill yourself. Uh, What do you think the average Aussie in the average pub might think if you actually word that in the way that states the obvious? Yes, well... I think that it's not so much what uh, what the bloke says when he's got his elbow on the bar and he's talking to a few of his mates. It's in the quietness of his own thinking. If his if the wheels have fallen off his life, you know, and there's been breakdown in his family, increasing loneliness, a sense of isolation, and there are some physical dynamics in that as well, you know. But when he, if he thinks that his life's not worth living because if he was dead, nobody would miss him, type thing. Um, you can see how this uh, this option, this culture that it's okay to kill yourself, um, actually has an influence because that's how people develop cultural values. They develop cultural values because the leaders of the society send signals about what 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 what's to be done and what's not to be done, and um, and. Um, People can't think it all through for themselves, so they think, of course, that the Premier or whoever has thought all these issues through, and if he says it's OK, then it must be. So that's my concern. You know, I feel that within... This is happening not in a, in a, in a cultural vacuum, but it's happening, happening in, the, in the context of increased individualism, um, where, where people are, are being... You know, they, the thing is, you know, this is what I want. What are my rights? What are, what, you know, what are my rights and my... Uh, my ambitions and, and, and everybody's got to jump out of the way to make that possible. When we take that particular view, the thing that people are really concerned about is actually a person's emotional state 
you know, if they say, you know, that 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 that, that you or the state or whatever is is making me feel terrible, uh, then that becomes the test. And um, I, I attended, you know, an expert witness uh, by a professor to the um, the Queensland uh, parliamentary com- uh, committee that was uh, that was considering this legislation for Queensland, and the uh, professor Delians from Belgium talked about this law changing. Society, he said, this is a law like no other. It changes society. But what he didn't do was he didn't he didn't explicate. He didn't make it clear how it changes society. But what it does is it gives people an option and puts a thought in their minds and. And it's it's a dark and a dangerous one. And, Charles, when we consider what's gone on in Victoria, they've already established the laws. Uh, people are taking their own lives. Uh, we would say there is a culture of death in the whole euthanasia issue. But we could, in fact, take a defeatist attitude here and say, oh, well, we fought the battle and we tried to... Uh, alarm Victorians to the point where they would say no, no, no to euthanasia. But it's happened and now people are taking their lives. There is a culture of death and other states are trying to follow in their footsteps. Um, Does this create an opportunity for Christians, for the church, uh, to (laughs) rise and embrace people now because this may be the way we rescue people? Yes, it does very much so. I think that, that, you know, what... For a long time, people have said Christians are no different from the rest from anybody else. You know, they, they, their divorce rate is as high, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, these are the sort of these switching moments in a culture where a, the church has to choose to be the wellspring of a culture of life, and 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 that's more than just church attendance, and it's more than just smoke machines and fancy lights. It's it's something deep about what life is about and how we are to live it. This is this is the true message of the gospel that we we live life buoyantly and joyously because we are fundamentally reconciled to God. So the deep issue of the soul is set at rest, and we can get on with living with confidence. Um, a friend of mine has been going through a difficult period of time uh, in her in her life. I, I just said to her, you know, the faith expects grace. That what Christian faith does, it doesn't expect the wheels to fall off. Or if they do feel off, God sends the, uh, the you know, the RACQ to help. <laughs> or he sends somebody to help us in time of stress. That's what the scripture promises, because that's the nature of our God. And it's so important for Christians to live the reality of who God is in our lives as light and as salt, not just for ourselves, but for everybody else who's living increasingly hopeless and meaningless lives. Well, Charles, you always frame those sorts of thoughts towards the end of our conversation so beautifully. And I know listeners will be encouraged that there is a calling upon us, uh, us and them, uh, to be able to rise to the need here. Because as people, as you say, are increasingly isolated, increasingly there's that doubt sown into their own hearts and minds about their own value because you've got these laws creeping in. You've got abortion rampant. You've got euthanasia telling us that it's okay to kill ourselves. And uh, those sorts of things uh, ought to spark something in us that says 
what do we do here? Because there are people in our own communities who need our help, need our embrace, need our support. So I want to thank you so much for drawing attention to that, Charles Newington. Always wonderful insights into the topics that we choose to talk about each week. I want to thank you very much. I want to point listeners to your website, familyvoice.org.au, because there'll be resources and there'll be articles and there'll be insights into these big developments that are happening in Australia and, importantly, how we as Christians need to respond to those. Familyvoice.org.au. Charles Newington, who's the National Director of Family Voice Australia, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts again with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.